Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Dr. Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Clippings Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Catherine Stiff. Hey, April. We're excited to explore two review papers with you today. Our first article is entitled, Effective Onychomycosis and Treatment on Patient-Reported Quality of Life Outcomes, a Systematic Review. Comes from Claire Stewart and colleagues, and it is in press in the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology, accepted in May 2020. So we all know that fungal infection of the nails or onychomycosis is common. It represents about half of nail disorders, and it infects over half of people who are over 70. It's not a life-threatening infection, so treatment isn't mandatory but it can lead to pain, limited dexterity and mobility, as well as secondary bacterial infections. In addition, there are definitely psychosocial consequences like embarrassment, decreased self-esteem relating to the appearance of the abnormal nails, and these authors sought to learn more about these quality of life impacts. There was a previous systematic review back in 2017 by Jenny Wang and co-authors in the Journal of Skin Appendage Disorders that looked at 25 studies on patient-reported outcomes in onychomycosis, not including ad hoc or unvalidated measures. Um, Because new studies looking at quality of life had been published since then, uh, these authors decided to make an updated review now, including ad hoc measures, which are a bit more rudimentary than validated measures, but can still provide helpful insights. They searched the literature for studies on quality of life that were original articles specific to onychomycosis that used a patient-reported outcome measure and also reported on outcomes. And they ultimately found 30 studies from 1993 to 2020. 14 of these used uh, validated questionnaires, which were things like the International Onychomycosis-Specific Questionnaire, the Onycho-T, the Dermatology Life Quality Index, Bristol Foot Score, and Nail QOL. Um, 15 other studies used non-validated ad hoc measures. So the first half of the studies looked at the effect of onychomycosis itself on quality of life. And the highlights were that patients with onychomycosis had poorer general health, poorer social functioning, mental health, more body pain, more concerns about their health and their appearance than healthy controls. Multiple studies reported that women with onychomycosis had poorer quality of life than men, and they reported more embarrassment. Um, Women were also significantly more likely to report a large impact on quality of life. One study found that the greatest effects were from social embarrassment and the inconvenience of needing to seek treatment. Three studies showed that when fingernails were affected, either along with toenails or on their own, um, quality of life was worse, while one study somewhat confusingly found that fingernail-only onychomycosis showed just a small impact on quality of life. The other 15 studies looked at the effect of treatment of onychomycosis on quality of life, 
by comparing pre and post intervention quality. Eight were randomized controlled trials and seven were case series. Bottom line was all of the oral treatments investigated led to an increased quality of life, whether there were tibinafine, itraconazole, or fluconazole being studied. Uh, those improvements were seen in generic, onychomycosis-specific, and ad hoc quality of life measures, although um, the different trials used different scales so they couldn't be directly compared to each other. One particularly useful study by Steer et al. was entitled Patient Satisfaction with Oral versus Non-Oral Therapeutic Approaches in Onychomycosis in the Journal of American Podiatric Medical Association, and they compared quality of life impact with oral therapies um, to topical like clotrimazole, terbinafine, cyclopirox, and a few others, and they found that there was more improvement in measures of convenience pain, embarrassment, self-consciousness, and the need to conceal the nails when patients were treated with an oral medication compared to a topical treatment. And this is what I would expect to see given that there is a shorter treatment duration with oral therapies, greater efficacy, and um, perhaps the ease of use of uh, using an oral treatment rather than applying a topical, which could be difficult for some patients. When specifically looking at the different oral regimens, um, Warshaw et al. reported that patients had more improvement in their quality of life when they were uh, treated with continuous oral terbinafine compared to pulse etraconazole. Next, um, six studies specifically looked at topical treatments and their effect on quality of life. The topical treatments included cycloperox lacquer, afiniconazole solution, an acidic peelable nail polish, um, amorophine lacquer, Vicks Vapor Rub, and urea cream. Again, the studies couldn't be compared directly to each other because they didn't use a single um, patient-reported outcome measure. But some of the individual results were that Malay et al. found statistically significant improvement in quality of life with the cycloperox lacquer plus debridement compared to debridement alone. Um, Eertmans et al. found improvement in an ad hoc quality of life score with both uh, acidic peelable nail polish, uh, which was interesting, and 5% amorophine lacquer. They found about the same improvement with both. Studies from Tosti et al. and Iozumi et al. reported that treatment with afiniconazole led to improvement in all domains of a quality of life questionnaire. And patients who received oral terbinafine re um, reported greater improvement on the quality of life questionnaire for toenail onychomycosis than patients who received the afiniconazole um, when comparing results across multiple different studies. Finally, uh, they looked at uh, studies on laser 1320 ND YAG and PDT. Um, there were small randomized control trials with improvements in quality of life from baseline in both uh, devices, but only for PDT were the results statistically significant. So ultimately, onychomycosis is shown to have a significant negative impact on patient quality of life. And in fact, some previous studies have shown that this effect is similar in magnitude to that of having a non-melanoma skin cancer or a benign skin tumor. 
the authors advocate for not thinking of onychomycosis as a cosmetic concern and rather providing prompt, adequate treatment that is individualized to the level of concern and quality of life impact. So for example, topical treatment, if only a few nails are affected with no matrix infection um, and a thickness less than two millimeters. Um, although cure rates are lower than with oral treatment and treatment courses are longer with topicals, we now know from these reviewed studies that patients do still experience improvement in quality of life when um, treated with topical treatments. And also in terms of figuring out which patients will benefit most from treatment in terms of their quality of life, um, women who had the poorer quality of life in five out of seven studies and also in three out of four studies, patients with fingernail involvement um, were shown to have greater impact. So women and patients with fingernail involvement are most likely to benefit um, from treatment of onychomycosis in terms of improving their quality of life. There still seems to be insufficient data, including on quality of life, um, to comment on treating with laser or PDT. And um, this study is limited because most of the articles, all except one, featured patients who stopped sought care for their onychomycosis. So the data are really skewed to that population, and they're really the findings are most applicable to patients who present with a concern about onychomycosis. So we're not necessarily going to make a big improvement in quality of life in a patient incidentally noted to have onychomycosis who doesn't bring it forward as a concern. My approach, which I think is fairly common, is to treat patients with a history of pain, recurrent cellulitis, um, diabetes with risk factors for cellulitis, um, or patients who ultimately just want to treat for cosmetic reasons or they don't like the appearance. However, I didn't previously know much of this published literature on quality of life and the impacts of treatment. And I think this will push me to recommend treatment more enthusiastically, particularly for women and um, especially fingernail involvement as improving quality of life is very important. Also, for patients who aren't good candidates for oral treatments, we now know that topical treatment still has significant impact on improving quality of life. Yep, I agree with you there, April. I, I found this article very relevant because we see so many patients with onychomycosis in nail clinic, and they often are extremely concerned with the appearance of their nails. This article is a useful reminder that their perception of their disease does affect their quality of life, and it's important to offer them treatment. Based on the results of this study, I would also be even more inclined to try terbinafine with mild disease if the patient is really bothered by the appearance of their nails. Absolutely. We, we would definitely expect to see good improvement in quality of life with that. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was a interesting article, definitely brought up some points I haven't thought about before. So thank you for choosing it. Thank you. The authors also share that they are working on a larger review of patient reported outcomes in other conditions um, affecting the nails. So I look forward to their findings. Catherine, uh, tell us about your article. Okay. I chose the article, Isolated Nail Lichen Planus, an expert consensus on treatment of the classical form by doctors Yuritso and colleagues. This was published in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology in December 2020. 
As we know, nail lichen planus can be severe, progressive, and lead to permanent nail loss. Thus, early and aggressive treatment is indicated. However, these authors pointed out that there are no specific guidelines for management of nail LP and no validated scoring system to assess the efficacy of treatments. The goal of this expert consensus was to provide an overview of the treatments available, define the severity of clinical presentations, discuss when systemic treatment is indicated, and recommend the number of months necessary to evaluate results of a given treatment. The authors evaluated 21 articles that focused on the treatment of lichen planus or LP with nail involvement. There were no prospective studies with long-term follow-up, and most articles were case reports or expert opinions. Using criteria such as nail plate thinning, longitudinal ridging, distal splitting, onycholysis, and erythema, the authors defined mild, moderate, and severe nail LP. As expected due to a faster growth rate, the authors noted that fingernails responded more quickly than toenails. Interestingly, the thumb did not respond as well or as quickly as other fingernails, which is something we can counsel patients on that it may take a little longer to see results with the thumb involvement. The authors do not recommend topical treatment due to limited drug penetration. And systemic treatment is recommended for nail involvement greater than three nails or for any disease significantly affecting patient quality of life. The authors noted a minimum of three to six months of treatment is necessary to evaluate the results. And this is once again due to slow rate of nail growth at two to three millimeters per month. And I think this is really important to counsel our patients on when we start uh, treatment for any nail disease is just the duration, how long it's going to take them to appreciate results. The so authors recommend intra yeah. Um, the authors recommend intralesional triamcinolone at doses between five and ten milligrams as first line therapy for almost all severities. The injections are performed with the use of ethyl chloride or vibrating devices to help reduce pain. We have both of these methods readily available in our clinic. We have gotten a few funny looks from patients when we bring out the vibrating device, but it really does help some of our more anxious patients. April, does your uh, practice use any of these distraction techniques? Yes, uh, we use ethyl chloride spray for um, distraction and to numb the um, pain of the needle insertion in our clinic. Um, I have not personally used the buzzy or other vibrating device, but I'm interested in trying that. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have a few patients that are so nervous that um, request any distraction techniques they can and um, it is, it's been pretty useful for them. So you guys should uh, look into getting that at your clinic as well. Yeah. With the intralesional steroids, atrophy is a commonly discussed adverse event. However, the authors report this risk is minimal with proper injection technique. Hematomas and temporary numbness were far more commonly reported adverse events. 
There are a few helpful figures in the article depicting various nail injection techniques if the listeners are interested in reviewing them. In our clinic, we use the method described by DeBerker and Lawrence, in which 0.5 milliliters is injected into each side of the proximal nail fold per affected digit. The authors recommend repeating treatment every four or five weeks for four to six months. Patients often ask if they will need to continue getting these injections indefinitely, and you can tell them that they do not. This article recommends tapering treatment by extending the period of injections to once every six to eight weeks for a few months after visible improvement. And if no clinical response is seen after six sessions, then consider switching therapies at that time. Intramuscular triamcinolone can be used as an adjunctive treatment for severe disease or greater than three nail involvement. This is administered at a dose of 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram per month for at least three to six months. And treatment is continued until uh, market improvement is experienced. And then the authors recommend reducing the dose to half the therapeutic dose but they do not specify how long to continue the taper. Oral steroids were not recommended due to high doses required and side effects. If steroids, either intralesional and or intramuscular, fail, second-line treatment is systemic retinoids, including acetretin and olitretinoin. Retinoids can cause nail brittleness, which is why they are used at lower doses for nail LP than they're used for psoriasis. And retinoids likely work for nail LP due to their ability to accelerate nail growth. Olitretinoin has fewer side effects than acetretin, but unfortunately is not widely available. Treatment should continue until cure, then tapered. And once again, if no effect is seen by six months, you can discontinue treatment without tapering. Other systemic medications that may be of benefit with severe disease are azathioprine, cyclosporine, or mycophenolate, but they should be reserved for cases not responsive to steroids or retinoids as their efficacy is not well studied with nail LP. Tofacitinib, the Janus kinase 1 and Janus kinase 3 inhibitor, has shown promising results in the management of lichen planopilaris, resistant to conventional treatment. As these enzymes are upregulated in LP, this therapy may also be beneficial for nail LP, the authors pointed out. In summary, there's not strong evidence for any of the treatments for nail LP, but regardless, it should always be treated and patients should be closely followed due to the progressive nature of the disease. Intralesional or intramuscular triamcinolone are first-line therapies. Oral retinoids are second-line, and if these are unsuccessful, additional options include immunosuppressive medications. As is often the case in the nail literature, prospective studies using a standardized scoring assessment are few and far between. However, there is sufficient level three and level four evidence in support of intralesional and intramuscular steroids to make me feel quite comfortable with their use. I'll also be on the lookout for trials using tofacitinib for nail LP.
Wonderful. Thank you. I thought this was um, great guidelines to have out there in the literature, um, really clear and um, concise for helping guide us treat our patients with nail lichen planus. And um, I thought it was particularly helpful to emphasize the point that although there are so many conditions in dermatology where we initially might treat with topical steroids before moving on to a more interlesional or systemic approach, um, there's really no rule for that here. So I think that's important to have um, stated really clearly as they did in this article. Um, wonderful. Um, well, Catherine, thank you so much for sharing that with me today. Um, to all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Please let us know how we're doing and um, any articles you'd like us to review on the podcast by contacting um, kristen.cnd kristen.cnd at gmail.com, which is our administrator's email. Um, thank you so much, and I hope you will join us next time on Clippings. Thank you, April.